So, yeah, I just, uh, it's great to, it's hard to believe we're already <laughs> into Advent season, but I love being able to do this, just kind of marking out um, where we are in the calendar. Um, if we think of things in terms of the Christian calendar, and uh, we're at Advent, we not only remember um, the stories from Scripture, the history, um, and just, you know, what really is at the foundation of our, our faith, and we we think about what it would be like to wait as the Israelites did, to wait for God to send the Messiah. But we also think about how we're in this in-between time when we, we too are waiting for God to bring his kingdom in full. And so it's a great exercise in that, a great time of remembrance, and also preparing us for the celebration of Christmas. Now today what I thought we would do for our, um, our first Sunday is we're going to follow in Luke the, the story, so to speak, of Jesus' birth. And uh, we're going to start today when the, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Now, to help us get uh, our, our thoughts around things and kind of get in the mood of, of Mary and, uh, and her people, I wanted to just uh, do a little mental exercise with us. We're going to imagine for a moment now, we just had Remembrance Day not too long ago, and a little bit ago we went to the War Museum in Ottawa, so maybe that's kind of on my mind, but, uh, I, so I'm going to use a war illustration. Um, I think it works well. So imagine that you are, we're in World War II, and that you're a pilot in World War II, and your plane has just been shot down. Now, before it went down, you were able to signal for help, and you were able to parachute safely out of it. Now, the trouble is you've parachuted right into the ocean, right into enemy waters, right near enemy territory. And you're sitting there. You're waiting. You're waiting for someone to come and save you. Suddenly, you see a light. You see a light on the horizon. And you think, I wonder who that is. (laughs) Because who that is makes a big difference for the kind of hope (laughs) that you're going to feel in that moment, right? If that light represents an enemy ship coming to you, not much hope. If that light represents maybe a fisherman coming in, maybe hope, maybe not. It's hard to tell. But if it turns out that your guy's coming to save you, then there's a lot of hope in that light, a lot of hope in who's being sent to you. And that's, I think, a helpful illustration for us because Mary and her people were waiting. They were waiting for God to save them. They were in enemy territory, so to speak. They didn't have a kingdom of their own anymore. They hadn't had one for a long time. They were under the Roman occupation, and they were waiting for God to send someone. And we're reading about a story where God indeed does just that, and Mary is the first to hear about it. And who God sends makes all the difference in the world in terms of the amount of hope that Mary has and the amount of hope that comes from who God is sending. So we're going to read about that. But also, I thought we'd add in here an extra layer for us. For those of us who are Christ followers, I wanted to add a bit of a layer about evangelism. We're going to learn about evangelism as we go through this story. And the reason why, I attended online an Alpha presentation not too long ago, and it really struck me. It was all about evangelism, and I can't remember the exact number, but it said that the the vast majority of Christians really struggle with evangelism. Some Christians struggle even to, to know whether it's a good thing to do it all. It almost feels like we're proselytizing, like we're pushing our faith. Others just, they kind of want to do it, but they don't really know how. It's really confusing. 
And that word evangelism, it kind of has a bit of a negative ring to it because of all the bad examples that we've seen. So over Advent, I thought it would be great to take a look at this story and think about how God does evangelism, to, to really mine these stories for what we learn about God's way of evangelism so that we too can take part in that sort of evangelism, take our model from God, from Jesus. So we're reading the story in that light. And, and today we're going to see, I think, some framework for how we get our minds around evangelism. We're going to see the framework about God's heart in this and how God really wants us to take part in, in his mission. We're going to learn about that today. So let's, let's dive in. We're going to read scripture, and uh, we're starting in Luke 1, and we're going to read starting from uh, verse 26. So it says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled um, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I think, do we have a bit more? Did I give you a bit more? Yep, good. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So that's Luke 26, 34. You've probably read this many times. You've probably heard this many times. We we reread this uh, every Christmas season. What struck me as I read it was that very beginning in the, what was it, the uh, sixth month, was it? Of, yeah, six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent. God sent. That is a, a very hopeful phrase there. It tells us quite a lot. If you read prior to this, if you read prior to this, God sent an angel to Elizabeth to announce that they'd be having a baby, that they'd be having John the Baptist. And now God sent the angel Gabriel to announce to Mary this wonderful news announcing that he's going to be sending someone else as well. Sending someone in the line of David. Sending, perhaps, a king. And that there would inspire tremendous hope in in Mary as an Israelite because they had been waiting for that. They'd been waiting for God to send them a king for quite a long time. They hadn't had a kingdom to themselves, and they were under the Romans, as I said before, very much feeling like they were trapped, like they were slaves even. So they were waiting for God to send someone in the line of David. And they had been clinging to verses, that just promises that, that were God's promising this. So in Psalm 132.11, for instance, it says, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. They were clinging to a verse like that because no one had sat on David's throne in quite a long time, but they knew God was going to send someone to do just that. Or in Isaiah 16, 4 to 5, it says what this king is going to do. It says, in that time, the oppressor will come to an end and destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. In love, a throne will be established. 
in faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. They were waiting for these verses to be fulfilled, that God would send a king, someone to come and save them, someone to come and turn everything all around. We've been watching, uh, we like to watch either The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit once a year. And uh, so we were watching The Hobbit recently, the first one. We watched the extended edition, actually, so it's like something like four hours long. And it's great. And one of the things that comes to mind, uh, the reason why I'm bringing that up, is uh, so often Gandalf, you know, that main character, Gandalf, the, the wizard, he comes and saves the, the Hobbit and, their, and the dwarves and all of that. So there's this one scene where they're caught by these trolls, they're tied up. There's no hope. They're way, they're, they don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, Gandalf appears. It's really, really striking. He's on this rock, and he, he strikes the rock. All of a sudden, this light appears, and it turns the trolls to stone. And so Gandalf saved them. You know, I just get that kind of image here with the Israelites. They're like, God, we need you to come. We need you to come and save us in this dramatic way. But here's the thing, what's revolutionary about this, as we know from, from the story, being well acquainted with this story, is who God is sending. He's just not sending a human king. He's just not sending someone to be that king on the, line, on the throne of David. Well, first off, he's sending a baby, as the angel says. And he says, you're to name him Jesus, which means Jehovah is the Savior. Or Jehovah is another word for Yahweh, God's name. God is the Savior. And he will be great, the son of the Most High. So back to that image of being, you know, in the ocean, wondering who, <laughs> who's behind the light. Now God is saying, I'm not just sending a king, I'm sending my very son to you. My very son is coming. In fact, as we know, that means God himself <laughs> is coming as a baby. And that reveals a lot about God that can give us hope. That reveals a lot about God. When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about evangelism done God's way, when God gets involved, <laughs> he comes on the scene. He doesn't just stand back. He comes right on the scene. And those words there, God sent, God sent, God sent, it happens a lot here. We see it again in Acts, God sending. Theologians have really grasped onto this in an important way and, and have learned from these that that means Straight down to God's core at the level of the Trinity, God is ascending God. In other words, God's a missionary. God has a mission. And that mission is to heal creation, to restore creation, to restore humanity into relationship with him, to get rid of the oppressor, the aggressor, all those things, to get rid of evil, to restore justice. That's God's mission. And it's all God's initiative. It's all God behind all of this. So that's Words of really good hope, I would say. And so when we talk about evangelism done God's way, that gives us a really important framework that God has a mission, that God has a mission, and he's fully investing himself in it. So when we think about what we're doing when we're doing evangelism, we are taking part in God's mission. It's not our initiative. It's not something we make up. It's that God has started this all, and we're learning how to be a part of it. So that's pretty powerful. Something else that's striking about this, before we move on in the story, what I find really neat about this is that God not only is sending, not only is God coming, 
but he's coming to real people here. We are rooted in history. The way Luke writes it, we just get all these historical details. We've already read that this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God's already come to um, Elizabeth and and Zechariah, this, this couple, and now he's coming to Mary, to Mary and Joseph, who lived in Nazareth. Like, they're, they're rooted right in history. These are real people here. Um, and he's coming as a son, like I said, to a real girl part, who's part of an um, a ethnic group, a real ethnic group called the Israelites. So God comes to real people as part of his mission. But he comes in extraordinary ways. <laughs> That's the other part of this. He comes in really extraordinary ways. To Elizabeth, this was a miracle birth for them. She had long given up hope of having a child. In her childbearing years, it says that she was unable to have a child, and now she's far beyond menopause, far beyond childbearing years. So it was a miracle that God was sending them a baby. But then we get this story about Mary. We know it well that God sent Gabriel to tell her, you're going to have a baby, and she's saying, how can this be? I'm a virgin. So it's a virgin birth here. God comes. In, when God steps on the scene and works in people's lives, it's in extraordinary ways, I'd say. And I know when we see that, for, for a lot of people, um, they read that, the virgin birth, and they're kind of like, wait a minute, okay, they kind of jump off the boat there because they're like, that just seems a little too unbelievable. You know, it just seems, we, we kind of know this, it's scientifically impossible, right? And so it's got to be impossible, even illogical, some would say. What, I, what strikes me about this story is I'd say that Mary agrees with you, actually. <laughs> Mary doesn't have the scientific background that we have, but it struck her as pretty incredible, <laughs> too. She was dumbfounded when the angel announced to her that this was going to happen. We, we hear it in her, in her words here, how can this be? I'm, I'm still a virgin. In, I like the, the literal translation here is that I don't know a man at all. In other words, I don't know what you're implying, Angel Gabriel, but Joseph and I, we haven't been up to any business here. You know, I don't know how this is going to happen. <laughs> and we're in that same boat, I think, a lot of the times too, right, when it comes to the claims of the gospel, when it comes to the claims around Jesus, a virgin birth, that he died, that he rose again, that he was resurrected. These kinds of things seem unbelievable. And I like what Leslie Newbegin says. I was reading him lately. And he says that when it comes to these kinds of claims, when it comes to like the resurrection, for instance, he says, from the point of view of our contemporary culture, um, the claim that God raised Jesus from the dead, well, it seems irrational. It cannot be incorporated into the existing plausibility structure. I like, I like that. In other words, it just doesn't seem plausible. Given what we know about the world, how things usually happen, how babies are normally born, how people, when they die, they usually stay dead. We never witness anything like resurrection in our normal day-to-day. It just seems implausible. We can't really fit it in to what we know to be true, to what we can make sense of. So we're with Mary in this. And just a little bit more on this part, I think it's interesting to think about this in light of Mary's situation, in light of the storyline of Scripture. You talk about what seems plausible. You talk about what they've been prepared for. Elizabeth and her husband, it was miraculous. It would have caught them off guard, but they would have been able to kind of make sense of it. 
Why is that? Because, well, Elizabeth and her husband, they would know that they are in a long line of couples where God had done this. There's a lot of other amazing births that take place in the Old Testament where God comes to an older couple who are beyond giving, beyond their childbearing years, you know, and he makes it happen for them. So Abraham and Sarah, for instance, the great Abraham and Sarah who had Isaac, this happened to them. Or Isaac and Rebekah, who had Jacob and Esau, this happened to them. It was a miracle birth in that way. Rachel and Jacob, who had Joseph in this way. So three times in Genesis, it happens at pretty key moments. And then fast forward, Elkanah and Hannah had Samuel in this way. One of the, one of the great prophets, the end of the judges, had Samuel in this way. So they were given a baby in a similar way to Elizabeth and her husband. So they might have been able to sort of get their mind around it. It was sort of plausible in that way. But for Mary, nothing would have prepared her for this. There's no other stories of virgin births in the Old Testament. It would have been completely new to her, completely without precedent for her. So we're kind of with Mary in this. If you're wondering how is this possible, you know, you're in good company. (laughs) Because Mary would have wondered that in that moment too. But isn't that, I, like, I kind of like that, because isn't that the truth about the gospel, just in itself? Nothing can prepare humanity for this. There's no precedent for what's happening here. But let's move on. Mary's wondering, how's this going to happen? We're wondering, how's this going to happen? So the angel explains. The angel answers at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So we get an explanation there from the angel Gabriel. We get this explanation that, well, this is going to happen through the power of God by the Holy Spirit. And he's kind of, I think he knows that this is, that's kind of beyond Mary's understanding. It's beyond our understanding. So he points to Elizabeth to say, look, God is already up to something here. You know your relatives. You know she wouldn't lie. Well, she's having a baby too in a really miraculous way. So draw hope from that. Draw strength from that. And then he says, and don't worry, no word from God will ever fail. Another translation there, another manuscript says, with God, nothing is impossible. It may seem impossible to you. But with God, nothing is impossible. It may seem like you can't really get your mind around it. You can't understand it. You can't really explain the nuts and bolts of it. It may not fit your plausibility structure, as Newbegin says. It might not seem plausible. But for God, it's possible. And you know, I've learned that time and time again. Maybe you can relate to that. That I've kind of learned that God doesn't really need to consult what I consider plausible before he acts. You know, and as much as I like to think I'm a smart guy, I've learned that again and again, especially coming from my philosophy background, trying to make sense of things. But God, God will do what God's going to do. But I I like it. There's this other point, just to bring up Newbigin one more time, because if you're kind of struggling with this at all, I find this helps. Because he talks about how, sure, before it happens, before God does something extraordinary in your life, It seems impossible. It seems illogical. If you were to hear about it ahead of time, you would say, that just doesn't make any sense to me. But afterwards, 
And after you spend some time with God, you get to know God, it kind of makes sense in a way. <laughs> it's got its kind of own logic to it in a way. You can kind of start to get your mind around it in a way because you're being really opened up to what is possible with God. So I kind of like that, that too. If you're struggling, give it time. <laughs> um, but let's see here. There's one more thing um, that, that we want to say here. But just to kind of make that point then about bringing it to this idea of learning about evangelism then from what we've seen here is God's got a mission and he is sending his son to ordinary and real people within history. Um, and in doing so, he's going to do extraordinary things. So that's pretty helpful for us. So when we engage in evangelism, I take it there that we need to be prepared for the unexpected. <laughs> Even in our lives, we need to be prepared for God to do some extraordinary things. And it's having this posture, this attitude of openness to what God can do. Openness to what's possible with God. Um, okay, one more thing here from this passage before I finish off. Because this is talking, right now we've been talking a lot about what God is doing, what God does, God's initiative. But the other side to this that's remarkable is that not only does God want to do something, he wants us to come along with him in what he's doing. He wants us to partner with him. And he's going to enable us to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that with Mary here. Not only is God saying, I'm sending the king, you know, I'm sending my son, I'm coming. He said, well, I want to involve you in a pretty big way. You're going to you know, carry my son to term. <laughs> You're going to give birth to him. You're going to raise him. That part right there, that's pretty daunting when you think about it. If he's anything like my son Dorian, like I had to be on him like a hawk in terms of keeping him safe. Like I remember I, our old church was kind of like this where you had stairs that were going down like that. And I can remember so many times looking over. I, he's out of my eyesight for just a minute. And I look and he's just bolting to those stairs. You know, he's, too, he's just learning to walk. He's got no concept of the fact that that's really dangerous, but he's just going for it. And so i got to run and grab him. And so you can imagine Mary with the Son of God, God trusting her, keep him safe. <laughs> keep him safe when he's first learning to walk. You know, feed him, clothe him, raise him, all of that. You don't get much more intimately involved in God's mission <laughs> than that. So not only does God send his Son, but he also sends us, so to speak. He sent Mary and the story continues in Acts 1. You can read about it there where Jesus then sends his apostles to kind of carry him to others. It's interesting, you know, the Holy or the, um, Gabriel says to Mary when he's kind of giving her her um, commission speech, so to speak, and she's wondering how is this going to happen. He says, right, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He, she's commissioned by the power of the Holy Spirit there to that the Son is going to be, be sent through her. And then in Acts 1, Jesus says to the apostles, I'm sending you, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's that sending theme, and now Jesus is sending the apostles to carry him with them and to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as we know, they sent and then they sent and sent and sent and sent. So, God's way of doing evangelism is evolving, involving us. 
We get to be part of his mission. So, okay, I'm going to finish there. And just to kind of bring those points together so that they're easy to remember, we see today a bit of the framework of God's way of doing evangelism. That, after all, at the foundation of all of this, God is a missionary because God has a mission to heal and restore creation. This is all God's initiative. And God sends his son to real people in extraordinary ways. So we can be ready for that. But in turn, he asks that people partner with him. We get to be part of that mission. And today, if you're here as a Christ follower, that's the maybe shocking truth about this, the exciting truth about it, that we are part of this mission. We're part of God's mission. And we are sent in the long line of people who have been sent to bring that hope, the hope of the gospel, to bring the hope of Christ to the world. Really bringing Jesus to people by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you hear that, you might think, that's pretty scary. (laughs) That's pretty daunting. And that's where I love this example with Mary. Because we see in her words the same kind of thought. When the, whole, when the angel Gabriel said that to her, we, she said it, right? How is this going to be here? Like, I can't really, this is scary. I can't get my mind around this. You know, earlier on, she's like, what kind of a greeting is this? She doesn't know what to make of it. How can this be since I'm just a virgin? And when you hear God's, this, this idea that God is sending you, you, maybe you've heard this before, you can think back to when it really impacted you. You know there's a time when it is scary, when it is daunting, when you do feel this way. You feel like, how can this be? How can I be sent can, when I'm just, you know, fill in the blanks? I'm just a, a boy from Beamsville, Ontario, small town Beamsville. How can this be <laughs> that you want me to preach, that you want me to, to be sent to people? When I was, especially in Quebec and now here in Brockville, it, it still kind of is daunting to me. How can this be that you want me to communicate? And I'm sure we all feel that way at times. But that's where Mary's words at the end of this passage are so powerful, so important for us to hold on to. Because she starts out, how can this be? But then after hearing, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And I love that. It's it's about what God says. (laughs) You know, it's about what God says. If he says that you're, he wants you to do this, and then he's going to help you. He's going to help you through the power of the Holy Spirit. If he says you can do it, then you can do it. It's all about what he says, not about what I say about myself, not about what others might say about me, about you. It's all about what God says, because there's that promise there that any word from God, it's going to come true. <laughs> what seems impossible is possible with God. So that's the story of the beginning of the story of hope for us at Advent, and it's about learning how to take part in God's mission, doing evangelism God's way. So I'm, I want to call the worship team up, and uh, in that, on that note, it's a chance to worship one, one more time together today to celebrate, celebrate who God is. But as they're coming, um, why don't we take a moment to, to pray together? Oh, dear God, just uh, thank you so much for this, this moment, this time. Just want to kind of press pause here with us and just take time to, to focus in on what we've heard from, your, from Scripture today. 
and just what we've learned about you, Lord God, that you love creation and you love humanity so much that you sent your son, that you came right onto the scene to get intimately involved, that you have a mission to save creation. You've got a mission to restore, to heal, to put things to rights. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. Help us to be grounded in that. And Lord, you send us as well. You send each of us to share hope, to share your son's love, to share your love by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so help us to hear that today, going into this Advent season to to Christmas season once more. Help us to to get a real um, vision for that individually and as a community, that you're sending us to reach those who, who don't have hope, to reach those who need your love, who, who haven't experienced your love yet, Lord God. And for each of us who might be up against something right now where it just seems like that whole thing seems just implausible, it seems impossible, I pray that you'd help us, help each of us, help those who are struggling to hear Gabriel's words. With God, this is possible. And that we could come to a place where we could agree with Mary in saying that we are your servant, Lord God. Use us as you would. May your words about us become true. May we cling to those. So we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.